begin our class here as uh, we get everything together. Um, it is, we have been separated for so long and are still struggling to uh, find a, a, a comfortable uh, coming back together. It's so good to see you here tonight and it's, I almost hesitate to uh, stop or to stop you because I enjoy watching you talk. I enjoy watching you enjoy being around one another. That's, um, I don't, I, I don't think we realize what a blessing that is uh, until we were not able to do it the way we'd like. Um, but now, while I realize that, truthfully, I've been to a lot of different, uh, to be careful here because my mother might watch, I've been to some family gatherings over the years with, with some of the outlying family members that I would have loved to have been able to done that on a computer. I said, hey, uh, no, I'm just kidding, sort of. And I know you've all been in situations like that. But when we've had to distance ourselves and be apart, it, it begins, I miss it. You miss one another's company. Um, and it's the encouragement that you miss, the example that you miss. So thank you for being a part of class tonight. And as we begin our, our prayer, as we begin our lesson, I want us to have a prayer, but especially we'll add something to that prayer. Many of you may not know, but uh, this morning, of course, we had a prayer uh, special request prayer for uh, June Cupper. Uh, she did pass from this life this afternoon. And uh, we don't know any uh, other details other than that. But we'll remember uh, that family in our prayers as well. So would you bow with me, please? Gracious Father, Holy God, Creator of all things, we are mindful of your goodness and your grace. We are thankful for your love for us and for all the things that you do for us every day. Father, thank you for your son who died for us on the cross. Thank you for his blood through which and by which we are cleansed from our sins and we are able to live uh, within your grace. And we're thankful for your truth. And as we study that truth tonight, especially in the 119th Psalm, may we do that with ready ears and open minds and willing hearts. Father, we especially ask you, you know their needs more than we, but Father, we pray for the June Cupper family in this hour of difficulty and hardship and the days of transition ahead. And Father, we know that she's, she dealt with cancer for many days. We pray that you will be with them in accordance to your holy will. Be with each of us that we might be servants of yours. In your son's name we pray, amen. So tonight we find ourselves in the 119th Psalm in our 15th uh, lesson. Next Sunday evening, Lord willing, uh, we'll meet in the auditorium. And, uh, of course, Aaron Foster will have more to say about that, but we will not be having a Bible class in here or the Annex because that will be the time that the Ladster Leaders groups uh, will be doing some of their presentations. And, of course, Aaron will have more to say about that as that time draws 
uh, near. But after that, we've got a few days. Uh, I'm looking forward to the 1st of May. That starts a new academic quarter. Um, and if you have yet to see one of those handouts with the classes that are upcoming, um, let me know and I'll try my best to get you one of those. But a new quarter begins in May and um, I'm looking forward to the five-year curriculum plan and those who are willing to teach. And some of you have told me you're going to sign up later. Um, and I haven't forgotten that. And I don't want you to forget that either. So I will have all of those sheets off of those poster boards and into a notebook uh, that will stay on my desk uh, in the office back there so that you can come by and see that and sign up. And um, don't worry, if I don't see your name, I'll come find you because I know you might get so busy you'll forget to come by. Uh, but as we look into Psalm 119 tonight, I hope you'll go with me now to verses 97 through 104. And I thank you for those of you who were in here last week. I uh, didn't get to um, hear my nephew, but I know that uh, I heard he did a good job. Um, I had told him, I skipped ahead and said, you can do Psalm 119-105. And I thought that would be a good uh, topic for him, but I think he did the whole the whole section, which is fantastic. But tonight, if you open your Bible to uh, verses 97 through 104 of Psalm 119, I want us to read that text together and then think about some things that we can glean from it. Oh, how I love your law. It's my, it is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. When we look in this particular uh, section of the Psalms, and remember, of course, throughout Psalm 118, or Psalm 119, excuse me, we are seeing every eight verses, a stanza of a song, but in every, eight, in every section we are seeing a cross-section of the Word of God. In other words, we are seeing the Word of God in a different perspective. Each time, in each section... We are seeing what the Word of God means to David and what the Word of God has done for him in various aspects and situations of his life. But also we are seeing, because remember, of course, if anyone ever asks you, you know, why do you even bother with the Old Testament anyway? Someone may have the thought, why are you doing all these studies in the Old Testament in the upcoming quarter? Well, there's several answers to that. The short answer is Romans 15, 4. That the things which were written aforetime were written for our learning. That we, through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. So there are so many things. And so in Psalm 119, I am reminded, have you ever thought about the Word of God from this perspective? I am, or I'm asked, have you ever thought about the Word of God from this perspective? I am reminded the Word of God can do this for you, and it can do that for you, because it's able to, and I invite you to, to go back and read this entire psalm in its entirety. 
and think about it from that perspective. And so tonight, with this particular set of verses, these eight verses, I want us to simply take this phrase, in God's Word, I find. What do I find in the Word of God? Now, don't, uh, don't be like the student. When I taught seventh grade English many years ago, when one of you and I shared classrooms there close by one another, um, I remember saying, oh, uh, we need to learn the difference between concrete nouns and abstract nouns. And so some, who can tell me what a concrete noun is? You know, and I, yes, a concrete noun is a noun that is concrete. And then you have to pause because you can't say what you first think. Uh, no, we say, uh, okay, in the Word of God I find. You say, well, in the Word of God you find God's Word. Well, yeah, but what does that mean? It's kind of like saying, well, the Word of God says what it says, and it means what it says. End of story. That's right, but what does it mean? Uh, you have to dig a little deeper. So when I get into the Word of God, when I dig a little deeper, what do I find there? David offers four things for us to think about for a little while tonight. In the Word of God I find wisdom. I find wisdom in these first two verses, 97 and 98. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. You, through your commandments, make me wiser than my enemies. Make me wiser than my enemies. You know, when I think about this particular passage, I think of three New Testament passages. I think about Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. 37. Where Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first commandment with promise. Uh, when I love God, when I love uh, God, I love His Word. They, there's no separation between the two. And especially when you dig into Scripture and you find in um, John 1 that Jesus is the Word that became flesh. And when you dig into Hebrews chapter 1, the first three verses, the first two verses, that God at different times in various ways spoke to the fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. So as Jesus said, to see me is to see God, to know me is to know God. So when I love God, then I automatically, it's a part of that is I love his word. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 15. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 15. I don't think that's the verse I wanted. Somebody read it for me. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. Thank you. I, the reason why I wanted somebody else to read it is that I enjoy the uh, uh, ESV, but sometimes I don't like the way it changes some of the words. Uh, it breaks it down sometimes too much because the word meditate there. Meditate on these things. Would you read that again if you don't mind? Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. Notice the progression there that give yourselves to them that your progress may be seen of all, but do what first? Meditate. Notice what David said there. I love your law. It's my meditation all the day. And through the commandments that's in your law that I love, 
and I meditate on, I think about, I don't think we fully appreciate the New Testament uh, command or the principle of meditating on the Word of God. I know that I haven't. I talk to myself first. I preach to myself first. Definitely have not mastered or even fully maybe understood what it means to meditate on the Word of God. Day and night. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't do anything else. It means that you have a consistent habit and a consistent habit that includes a plentiful portion of time and effort spent in considering the Word of God, thinking about the Word of God, applying the Word of God, practicing the Word of God, but after you've thought about it and understood it and let it become part of you and then applied it in a way that you can practice it. Sometimes we get the cart before the horse. Sometimes we do. Let's be honest. Uh, Ladies, you're not allowed to answer this question. Only men can answer this question. Ladies, you cannot answer for the men, even though you're tempted to do that. Probably can. Let me rephrase that. Please don't. How many of you men have ever, be honest, been guilty of taking a box. My grandfather, I learned from the best. My grandfather, car, that's the first thing he did. You know where I'm going with this, don't you? You open a box, you gather everything out, and then you take those, that little piece of paper that is called instructions, and you get that pesky thing out of the way, and then start trying to put... Anybody ever done that? Okay, now sometimes that works great. But some, apparently some of you have had the same experience I have, that it hasn't worked out great, so great sometimes, because I have gone back, I have literally gone back before and read the instructions and, uh, well, that's a great idea. Why didn't I think of that? Uh, Because I didn't put, so the idea is sometimes we try to read the word of God and just go out there and do it. And we try to follow the Word of God exactly the way it says. And that's what we're supposed to do. Don't misunderstand. But we haven't spent enough time absorbing the depth of what it says. And really understanding that we're not going to be perfect when we begin. That we're not going to be... uh, It's going to take a little time. And the Word of God takes that into account. And the more time we spend thinking about it, and again, I never understood when I was a senior in high school in the summer right before, it was a week before school started, had a game in maybe three weeks. Our football coach, who'd been there forever, got another job and said, sayonara, see ya. And so we went into my my senior year without a coach, or we were about to, Long story short, they had hired uh, as their principal a fellow who would retired from a, a, a championship. Some of you who are Mississippi football fans would know who this is if I called his name, who, who taught in the lower part of, or coached in the lower part of our state and uh, took several championships. He became our principal. So the board just said, I tell you what, you just uh, coach this year. He didn't want to. 
He'd already said he didn't want to, but he coached anyway. But one of the first things uh, that he did, he did things I'd never heard of before. He did things that some of these good old boys that, that we were had never heard of before. He had the idea, uh, he, first of all, we stayed after and we ate together on Friday and we stayed together. That was unheard of for us. And we, he made us spend time quietly, not talking, but prior to every game, thinking about what we'd done in practice and what we were supposed to do. I thought that was the dumbest thing I had ever heard anybody ask of me in my life. But about three games in, I began to get it. Because when we got ready to play, that's all we'd been thinking about for the last two hours. That's all been on our mind for the last two hours. And when we got ready to play, it was just kind of a natural expression of the focus we'd been... That's exactly what meditating on the Word of God is supposed to produce in us. So the idea there is that I meditate on the Word of God, and then I go back to 2 Timothy 3. Remember that scripture that we studied last week when uh, in the lesson? 2 Timothy 3, about verse 13, he said, Evil uh, men evil uh, will get what? Worse and worse. They're going to get worse and worse. So I don't want to scare you any, but for those of you who, who are saying... What's it going to be like when my great-grandchildren are grown? If the world is standing, it's going to be worse. In that arena, it is. Because they're not going to get those individuals, that part of the world isn't going to get any better. So what has to happen? He tells, he said, but you continue in the things which you have heard, which you have learned, and been assured, knowing of whom you've learned them. See, there's a legacy there that we forget. Why is that phrase in the Bible? Why is that phrase in that verse, knowing of whom you've learned them? There is something to be said about a group of older Christians who make absolutely sure that they pass the legacy of the Word of God to those who come behind them. Have to. If we don't, we've failed in part of our, our responsibility. But then he said in verse 15, he said uh, that from a child, remember that that from a child you've, you've known the Holy Scripture, which are able to make you wise unto salvation. Now, I go back to this. Two words that we saw repeated, meditation and wise. I spend time, just like Paul told Timothy to do, that you build on what you've been taught. You build on the examples of those who taught you. And as you do that, you spend time meditating in the Word of God so that that growth is seen and you are able to deal with that which is getting worse in the world of sin. Why? Because it makes you wise. Okay, David said, it makes me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. Well, for they are ever with me. Tell me what you think here. I, I would like your opinion on that particular verse. Is it the commandments that are ever with David? Or is it the enemies that are ever with David? What do you think? What do you think he means there? I know what I think, but I want to know what you think. Commandments. I think it's commandments. Of course, the enemies, there are plenty of those to go around. But it's the commandments. They are ever with me. What does that suggest? They make me wiser than my enemies. They are ever with me. That the Word of God 
is a continual presence. How does the Word of God maintain a continual presence in your life? Hmm? You feed on it. What else? One way to put it. How does it maintain a presence, an ever-presence in your life? You have to keep it in there yourself. That's right. You have to keep it in there yourself. Okay. It makes me wiser than my enemies. Here's another question. How does the Word of God, how does God's Word make me wiser than my enemies? That's an interesting question. David said that your commandments, your Word that I meditate on makes make me wiser than my enemies. How does it do that? I have a couple of things, but what do you think? But that word hidden in your heart, how does it make me wiser than my enemies? Notice it doesn't say smarter. It says wiser. It says wiser. Makes me think of James 1. Uh, what does uh, James say? That if any of you lack wisdom, let him what? Let him ask God. Let him ask God. Have you ever wondered, if you ask God for wisdom, how does he give it to you? Through his scripture. Through his scripture. Now, God will help us understand his word if we are doing these very things. But okay, God's word makes me wiser than my enemies. Uh, May I suggest, first of all, because it gives us better armor. Gives us better armor. I know I did this in the sermon last Sunday morning, but this realization has made such an impression on me. I want to read it again. Will you turn to Ephesians 6? Ephesians 6, and I know that there are some of you who have more experience than I, who have been Bible students longer than I. You know, Brother Luther may say, well, you just now figured that out? You just now saw that? But for some reason, I can say I never really made the connection. Should have. Oh, I knew the verses. But it just kind of hit me like, well, of course that's what it says. Of course that's what it means. Should have figured that out already. But in Ephesians 6, let's go to verse 10. We know what the whole armor, or actually verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers that prevent darkness, against the spiritual forces. He said we wrestle against spiritual forces. So understand, he he tells us right there that it's real. The battle is real, the, the need is real, the, the uh, forces against which you and I have to struggle are real. If not, if you don't realize that, at least get that tonight, if nothing else. But watch verse 14. Again, something I feel like I should have figured out long ago. But yeah, we talk about the individual parts of the armor. But watch it, the belt of truth... Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, according to Romans 1.17. Where does the righteousness of God come from? Where do we find it? From faith to faith. Where does faith come from? The Word. Righteousness, according to Romans 1.17, is found in the Gospel. Huh. Your shoes and shoes for your feet, having on the readiness given by the Gospel of Peace. In all circumstances, take, on the, take up the shield of faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by 
the word of God. Take the helmet of salvation. Hey, wait a minute. What did uh, Paul tell Timothy in 1 Timothy, uh, 2 Timothy 3 and verse 14? Uh, you have known what? The, the holy what? Which are able to make you unto what? Now, wait a minute. Unto what? Salvation. The helmet of salvation. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So, yes, metaphorically, we understand this idea of armor. And we can talk about it. Maybe that's what I've done. I talked about how the, the gospel protects our mind and how it protects our heart and how it protects... But folks, this armor that he's talking about, this spiritual armor, is literally the infusing of the Word of God in every part of our spiritual being. If not, why not? Now, you can talk about you know, how shields work, how helmets work, how the shoes of a soldier work. Nothing wrong with that. But at the end of the day, the spiritual armor of the child of God against the forces of wickedness is the Word of God completely grafted in, according to James 1.21, and infused in every part of my spiritual being. Has to be. So, how does the Word of God make me wiser than my enemies? It gives me, I have better armor. But, I also have a better strategy. Turn to Romans 12. Romans 12, in um, Matthew 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, what did Jesus say about verse 44? You have heard it said that you shall uh, do what to your enemies? That you sh You've heard it that you should hate your enemies. But I say... Love your enemies. Do good to them that, that spitefully use you. Huh. Now look at Romans 12. Romans 12 verses, let's start about verse 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with, with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. Would it be a fair statement to say that Romans 12, 18 and 19, if not the hardest, is certainly one of the more challenging commands for a child of God who is a human being? Um, you know, I don't mean this to be rude, but if, uh, if suddenly Romans 12, 18 and 19 became the new Facebook filter, Facebook would go broke because 90% of the posts would disappear. Wouldn't they? See, that's interesting. That's a very good observation because that verse is not suggesting that we do something we can't. We can't make somebody. It, the walking away part, if you walk away in the right way, if you do your part, it says as much as it depends on you. 
you live peaceably with all. So never avenge yourself. Never, you leave it to God. So absolutely. There, uh, are there going to be times when there are individuals um, who do not like you, who mistreat you? Well, well, yeah. It's not what they do. It's what you do in response to what they do. Is that a fair statement? But see, the Word of God gives me a better strategy. It teaches me the wisdom to walk away in the right way and how to respond. I will never, if the Lord blesses me to continue teaching and I make it to May, then that will complete 27 years. And I'll always remember. Why is it I remember certain things? I don't know. But I had a young lady early in my career who, for whatever reason, and I have had some over the years, who just did not care for me, did not like me. And that's okay. But I'll always remember, as long as I live, the next year that I saw, I knew this young lady did not care for me. That was quite obvious. And I was in the uh, library. And this individual was in the library with another class. And I didn't do this in a negative way, but it, it was... It was kind of the way I was brought up. I was going to say hello or bust. You know what that means, right? Uh, I wasn't going to snub her. I wasn't going to be rude to her. So it just so happened she passed close to me and I said, Hey, how, how are your classes going? I said, No, I said, How's English going? She was in the next grade up. And she turned and said, English is great. Now, by the way, I'm not making this up. This is exactly the way it was said. She said, English is great this year. Excuse me, Ken, can you pull that rather large knife from my... You talk about stinging from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet, you know, and my first reaction was... Have a nice day. Because you can't control what somebody else does, but you can allow God to control what you do. So he gives me a better strategy. Let's, let's read a little further. He says there, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but be overcome by good. We have to make sure. You know, there are days, and please forgive me if I, and I, if I sound as though I am questioning the word of God. I would never do that. But I'm thinking from my own personal human nature. Sometimes I think, Lord, sometimes I sort of wish that you'd worded that differently because my temptation is I'm going to be nice to him so it'll hurt his feelings. Uh, that's not what that means. He is saying that when I do what's right in spite of Satan's best efforts to cause me to do otherwise then God is able to heap coals of fire on that individual. In other words, that's going to be the case. Why? Because they didn't expect it. So if you ever have the thought, you know, if, if a, there's a certain someone in my head right now that if that person was, uh, had a flat tire on the side of the road in the middle of a rainstorm, I'm going to be honest, my first response is to beep and wave as I go by. Careful that you don't put your soul in jeopardy. 
You mean I'm supposed to stop and let that person sit in my car in the drive while I change that person's tire after that person? As hard as it is, absolutely. Because only by doing that can God show that person something that you can't show them. He's using you to do it, though. So, now, don't get me wrong. I didn't say I had mastered that. Right now, I've gotten Maryland to about three-quarters of the way of keeping my mouth shut. Now, do you understand what he's saying? God, uh, God's word makes me wiser than my enemies because it gives me a better strategy. And then uh, he also gives me a better confidence. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 57. We know what that verse says. Um, But, of course, I forgot it and can't quote it. Um, Well... I'm going to turn and read it because I. But thanks to God who gives us the victory through Jesus, our Lord, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Okay, why? How does the Word of God make me wiser than my enemies? Because it gives me a confidence they don't have. It gives me a confidence that. I can have a peace about me. I can behave in a certain way during a, 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 an unruly time because I have a confidence my enemies can never have. I'm not easily read or easily led to write. I'm not easily led to uh, throw up my hands and lash out in anger. Or I shouldn't be. Why? Because the Word of God has given me a confidence that they don't have that my enemies don't have. Okay, now let's think about that for just a second. Then we'll move on very quickly because I've done it, I think, this time. I've talked too much on one... one, uh, I haven't done that in a while, Luther. But it makes me think of a story. This is a preacher's story. Uh, At least that's where I've heard it. And you may have heard it before, but it always seems to be so apt, this idea of a confidence. It's a story of a, a... mother who is on her way to the laundry room and she hears her little boy sitting in the playroom and he's reading a book. He's, uh, he's reading a book. And she hears him, she goes by on the way to the laundry room, she hears him say, oh no you don't. And she passes back by, oh no you don't. And about the fourth or fifth time in the goings and comings, hearing, oh no you don't, her curiosity gets the best of her and she goes in and says, what are you doing? Why are you saying, oh, no, you don't? And he said, oh, mama, I'm reading this book that you got me. It's about cowboys and Indians. And the Indians keep saying, we're going to get you, we're going to win. But I've read the end of the book, and I know they don't. See, if you have read the book of Revelation, you know that Satan doesn't win. Evil doesn't win. Evil cannot defeat you, even if it takes your life. Revelation 2.10. So, we have a confidence. uh, The Word of God makes me wiser than my enemies through a confidence that the enemy doesn't have. Understanding. I want you to look with me at verses um, 99 and 100. I have more understanding than all my teachers. Your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the 
ancients, because I keep your precepts. More than the aged, uh, is what the ESV says. There are two possible applications here. That does not mean that the Word of God will make me smarter than the old people in the congregation where I attend. That's not even what it's talking about, not even close. The idea that God's Word is able to surpass... There are two applications. In Hebrews chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, um, and I don't know if anybody noticed this or not, but Hebrews 5, 12 through, not 15, there is no, uh, 12 through 15, um, I mentioned that verse in both lessons last week, 8.30 and 10.30, that we were going to talk about it, and we never did. Uh, And I didn't realize that until later. But he says in those passages, uh, when for the time you ought to be teachers... You have need that someone teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God because you uh, are as those who need milk and not strong meat. The strong meat belongs to those who are mature. And by reason of youth have their senses exercised to discern good and evil, right? Now, the application could be that the word of God is able to make me wiser than those who are not studying the way they should, those who are not maturing the way they should. If I allow God's Word to do what it should do, then I will grow so that when I reach the age, whatever age that I reach, that I reach that same maturity level spiritually, and I know what it is I'm supposed to know. But it also, I think about 2 Timothy 4, the first four verses. What did some of those people do? Let's look at that real quick. What did they do? It has something to do with ears. Y'all sure are quiet tonight. Y'all must be as tired as I am. What kind of ears? Itching? Uh, What does he mean by itching ears there? Oh, yeah. In other words, the idea is you want somebody to scratch your ears, uh, to please your ears. Uh, then he said in verse uh, chapter 4, verse 2, Preach the word, be ready in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort, with complete patience and teaching, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But they will have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And I'll be honest, I like the way it reads there. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Why will they do that? Because it makes them happy. It's what? It soothes them. And the idea here is that I understand more than the ancients because I keep your precepts. When I keep the word of God, it will make me wiser than the world around me. It will make me wiser than those who have not done so. Those who have sought others to tell them what they want to hear. Others to make it more pleasing to them. The word of God will rise you and me above that. So in the Word of God, I find understanding. I find wisdom. I find application. Verses 101 and 102. I have restrained my feet from every evil way. What do you think he means when he says that? I have restrained my feet from every evil way that I might keep your Word. What does restraining your feet mean? I have not departed from your judgments, for you yourself have taught me. That's the idea there. I let God teach me. goes back to 2 Timothy 3.16, that idea of the Word of God, the inspiration being the breath of God. 
Now, I know what I'm doing. I know I'm doing exactly what Dr. Sharp at the Jefferson County High School said when he gave me a recommendation or when he gave me that a teacher evaluation when he said, Mr. Hodgen, you do, and he was a really tall, scary guy. And he said, you do a really good job of a- asking students engaging questions. And I'm like, yeah, that's great. And he said, but you don't shut up long enough to let them answer. I'm like, he really said that. And he was really telling the truth. Uh, and sometimes I don't do that, and I truly apologize. What do you think it means I have restrained my feet from every evil way? Stay away from it. Stay away from it. Okay. Keep away from it. Now, wait a minute. Question. Um... Notice, is that worded maybe in a different uh, way than we might word it? Might we word this particular passage, if we were thinking about it from our own perspective, that I keep your word so I can restrain my feet from evil? But that actually is right the opposite. You say, well, well, the word of God makes it possible for me to rest- Yes, that's, that's right. But this is a different perspective. I make sure that I stay away from every evil way so that evil will not hinder me from keeping the Word of God. Now you think about that. You think about that perspective. That I keep myself from evil so that evil will not get in the way of my keeping the Word of God. I just think that's an interesting way of looking at it. Titus 2 and verse 11, For the grace of God that has appeared to all men... No, wait. The grace of God that brings salvation... I knew I was missing something, Luther. That has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should do what? Live soberly, righteously, godly. When? In this present age, in this present world. That, so the Word of God teaches us to do that. So I make sure that I stay away from things that prevent me from learning that which will keep me away from those things. Do you see, and see how that works? So in the Word of God, I find application. And then perspective. And I wanted to end, I've got three minutes. I wanted to end with this particular, how sweet are your words to my taste? This is perspective. How do you see the Word of God? Sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Okay, let's go from the back forward. Through your precepts, through what you tell me, what you teach me, what you give me in your word, I get understanding, and because of that understanding, I hate every false way. You get that, right? But notice prior to that, why is it that I am so quick to absorb the word of God? Why is it that the Word of God is so prevalent in my life? Because I am drawn to it. I am drawn to it. If we take the Word of God like taking some bitter pill, like some dreaded uh, medication, then it'll never have the effect it's supposed to have. How sweet are your words to my taste? Sweeter than honey to my mouth. Drawn to it because it's so sweet and so good and I can't get enough of it. That's the image here. Now, I want to end with this. 
And I know you're going to think that I'm being silly here, but I promise I'm not. I wanted to get to this. Why do we put flavors? You've got to answer me here because I look it's really embarrassing on live stream when I answer, ask a question and the TV roars, echoes in silence. How, why, why do we put flavors in medication or why do we ask the pharmacist to do that? So they don't taste bad. Okay. Uh, and I don't mean to be crass here, uh, I really don't, but if you've ever had the experience of having a colonoscopy and drinking that stuff out of that jug, there is no way they can, you can do whatever you want to do with that and it's still nasty. You know, peppermint nasty is still nasty. Okay, but you get the idea. Why do we do that to make it taste better? Here's a better question. Why do we put a dog's medicine? Anybody got a dog or a, a, a pet that you have to give medicine to? Nobody? One or two? Why do you put it in food? Now, I know there's a few that have been so domesticated, they'll just eat the medicine right out of your hand. Yeah, I, we're not talking about them. Why do you most of the time put medicine in, a, in a food for a dog? What? Why would they spit it out? <laughs> because it's in the food that they like, so they, they take it right up. Now, believe it or not, I know you're not going to believe this, but I actually had a dog on one occasion. I've seen him do it at least twice. Uh, we put that in the middle of a, a, a lot of food. I've seen that dog chew that food and then drop that pill on the floor. I, that's the most amazing thing I've ever seen. You know, so... I, that dog was smarter than I was, I guess. But, okay, the idea, and I, I want to leave you with this. When the Word of God, yeah, that's the reason why we do that. We put that medicine uh, in that food because that dog wants that food. He's drawn to that food. If I am drawn to that, oh, yeah, there's some things in the Word of God that maybe bumps against my human nature. Not maybe, it does. That sometimes is kind of harsh to me when I realize what it's saying to me because I've been so stubborn. But if the Word of God is so sweet and I can't get enough of it and I'm drawn to it, then David said, it'll become in you what it should. Now I know that this lesson wasn't a very good presentation tonight because I'm exhausted and I know you are too. But this is a powerful study from God's holy word, about what God's word will do. Um, if you have not had the opportunity, let's end with a prayer, first of all. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for allowing us to study your word on this beautiful day and this beautiful afternoon as we see your springtime unfold. Thank you for children in Bible class and teachers who are teaching them. Thank you for the opportunity to live for you. May we do the best we can to love your word so that you will dwell within us. In your son's name, amen. So if parents will go, the rest of you stay just for, how many seconds is it, Ken? I've been trying to, 15 or 20. Um, if you'll do that, parents, and then if you need to partake of the Lord's Supper, if you'll meet someone in the back, they'll uh, help you with that. And then the rest of you...